Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. I'm your host, Todd Burroughs. Thankfully, we got the issues with me being able to hear the guest and the guest able to hear me uh, done ahead of time. This is our second in our ongoing series of best ball off-season podcasts that should probably take us right up until kickoff in 2018. So on a day where we're waiting for some more Tom Brady news, waiting for some football news, and of course the games to see who will end up in the Super Bowl, I get to talk to about best ball with uh, Mike Marr. Mike is one of those guys, when I first came on Twitter, he really was the guy uh, in a very tight group of guys who was all about best ball. I mean, his, even now today, his, his best, his Twitter, Twitter is all about best ball in his name, right? It says Mike at MFL 10 soon. And we'll get to that in a, in a minute. He is the best ball writer for four for four football. He's been published on time to uh, com, And he is the back to back pizza league champion Mike Marr, Mike Margosian. How are you doing, Mike? Oh, great, great. Thanks for having me, Todd. It's uh, uh, great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I've wanted to have you on for a while. And I, I remember asking you last year, and you basically said, well, I'm, I'm really kind of the saddest guy on the planet. And you were kind of a man without a country uh, in the sense that you were the best ball guy who wasn't allowed to to play best ball. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about your history in fantasy football, uh, best ball especially, and then let's talk about uh, what happened to you last year. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I've been playing fantasy football for about 20 years since high school, uh, before high school, probably even middle school. So I played it off and on, you know, you know, a long time. I uh, really got serious into like dynasty leagues and those type of leagues five, six, seven years ago. And then uh, I found MFL 10s. I think I actually played my first one in 2013, uh, the first year they were out. I think I just played three or four, completely forgot about them, won one of them. And in 2014, ended up playing, uh, I think I played about 40 or so, and actually about doubled my money, did pretty well. And in 2015, did the same, doubled, doubled my entries, did about 80, and won you know, twice my money there. So I was doing doing really well, just enjoyed it, loved it. It was kind of a small community at that time. You know, 2014, it was like me, Matt Riddle, and uh, and Mark uh, Megatron. It was kind of the three of us were kind of the main main guys talking about that. Everyone else was 
confused at what the hell NFL 10s were, what the hell best ball was, all that. So we were doing that. We were kind of the main guys doing it. And, uh, you know, since then it's exploded. But as you mentioned last year, I wasn't even able to play them because do all the new regulations with DFS and NFL 10s got kind of swept up in that, all the, all the different regulations and stuff. And Mass was one of the highly regulated states and ended up being really expensive for, for companies to, to go state by state by state. And MFL, you know, just didn't have the money to invest, you know, each state at a time. They were kind of working on that. You know, I spoke with uh, Jeff, who was kind of the main guy there at MFL. And, you know, I was just talking back and forth. I and mean, it just, you know, it didn't make sense to get in mass at the time. There was tons of paperwork, you know, money, all that kind of stuff to figure that out. And uh, it's pretty comical considering DraftKings is headquartered in Boston. And it was just so highly regulated and everything. But you know, kind of move over to, to Fanball, where it is now. And, you know, since they do a lot of DFS stuff, they were already in Massachusetts. So now I'm able to play again, which is absolutely fantastic and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, you must have been pretty happy about that. Yeah, I mean, just the, the instant, you know, they, when they said the acquisition, my first question was, can I play? And uh, they said yes, and it was very ecstatic. Yeah, I mean, I'm in Pennsylvania, and – there was no clarity as to the the legislation that's moving through the system rather quickly on on whether they was going to have a small company you know it was like 50 grand so yep. obviously uh, MFL couldn't do that and so it, it wasn't clear to me whether I was going to be playing next year so my first thought when I heard they were moved was oh man you know, uh, people don't like change, and, you know, because when things change, sure, they can get better. But how many times in life have we seen things go somewhere else and they're not as good as the first time? So my, at first I was bummed. And then I, I think I saw you posting that you were, you know, <laughs> teeing up to play again. And I was like, oh, man, thank goodness. So. I, uh, my attitude really got adjusted pretty quickly and then it got even better because Scott fish who works for Fanball, he had been, you know, kind of questioning guys like me and probably you who do a lot of best ball on, you know, things we like about it, things we don't. And I've been very happy so far with the customer experience and having a say in what changes will and won't happen. Uh, what are your thoughts on what you're seeing so far? Yeah, I'm definitely definitely liking it. Like you said, uh, you know, Scott reached, reached out to me. I was talking to him a lot. Uh, I've, I've been in a few leagues with him and stuff, so I've, you know, interacted with him, you know, a good, a good amount. So I was, you know, obviously really happy that he was part of kind of leading the MFL 10s over at Fanball now. And, uh, yeah, like you said, he just talked to – kind of all the, the, the big players that have played, you know, especially high volume that, that kind of really knew it inside and out, just kind of got the feel from everyone. You know, everyone trusts Scott. He's always, you know, been a great commissioner for stuff. So him kind of leading that just instills a lot of confidence. So just, you know, just being able to, you know, voice my opinion directly with Scott and him really taking it into account, not dismissing anything, kind of going back and yeah. forth on a couple of things. Of the new things that have been rumored and the things that, you know, they had this questionnaire and I know that Dan Williamson, who was on my show last week, had the survey pinned. If you go to Scott Fish's um, 
Twitter page. I'm sure you can also find the survey. Uh, take the time, do the survey because they're listening and have, you know, don't wait until something happens that you don't like and then complain. I know uh, one of the guys that I'm pretty close to on best ball was complaining about the rate going up. And my feeling was a, it's not going up that much. And B I would rather have the rake go up a little bit and be able to play <laughs> than have it stay the <laughs> same and not be able to play. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, oh, and just one thing, thing on that is, you know, like, like you said, it was, uh, you know, so they take in $120 on, you know, $10 MFL 10, you know, 12 people is 120 bucks. And MFL was paying out 110 of that. So they were just taking $10 and fanball, you know, right when they first launched this idea, they were paying out a hundred with, you know, with this jackpot thing. We'll, you know, get to in a minute here. That's where everyone immediately jumped on that. It was like, you'd cut down $10 off that right off the bat. And it's doubled the rig. Everyone was flipping out. Like, as you saw, you know, I was flipping out a little bit. Everyone was flipping out. It was just, you know, especially the volume guys that can make a huge difference as it adds up. So yeah, doing that survey was huge. You know, got a lot of, gave them a lot of feedback, gave them a lot of stuff. But, you well, know, and, just go ahead. And and I feel like uh, it, no matter what it is in life, I try and be fair and balanced, right? Not not just the saying, but actually be fair and balanced. <laughs> and, you know, my feeling was, yeah, the rake went up, but it's still better than some other sites. I mean, there's some sites out there that, you know, the rake is way higher. And then the other thing is, you know, they're also getting advice on some other things. So I, I have it on fairly good authority that, that they might end up at 105 instead of 110, which again points to the fact that they're listening. But ultimately, MFL, if they were making money, they wouldn't have sold this. It, the fact that they, you know, it was $10 might have been part of the issue. And then the other thing is, you know, they're talking about it being a winner-take-all um, with a $5 credit or maybe kind of like a 70-20-10 with a $5 credit. The last I talked to Scott, and, and of course, that none of that's official. Uh, it, neither was the options that they put out there. Nothing's official. But my point is that, um, you know, I like kind of like the concept of 70-20-10, um, as much as I, you know, I didn't like 50-50s. What were your thoughts on 50-50s and 70-20-10? Yeah, so to kind of hit on the payouts, uh, like you said, you know, they initially, you know, thought of, I think it's just $90 for first and a $10 credit, or they're even just doing $100 and zero anything. That was the initial kind of uh, rollout they were thinking, and then now they added in the uh, $5. So, yeah, I, I think I've gotten – the latest up to date, so I think it's you know 99% locked down. That it's there's actually going to be three three options for uh, what to join. You know, one is you know the $10 you know essentially winner take all. You know, $100 to first and second gets the $5 credit, and then the other option actually pays out the top four. So it's yeah, 70, 70 20, 70, and the $5 credit. And the $5 credit, yeah, which is pretty cool because. Even on MFL 10, the highest, you know, they just did the the 10, 110. So, I like that kind of tiered payout, and you have the option of doing one or the other. You don't get locked into it, so you can choose if you want to do the winner take all, or you want a little more, 
risk averse. My only op- then- my, my own my only deal with all the options is especially at first I'd like to see them narrow it because if you join an MFL, you, you don't want to be waiting 24 to 36 hours for it to kick off. You know, it, one of the great joys of MFLs is kind of the instant gratification, especially the last year or two. If you joined an MFL 10, it, it pretty much got filled within an hour. Uh, yeah. You know, overnight maybe a little different. But um, so that's the only concern I have about them doing you know, all these options, especially in February when less people are playing. Um, but in general, I, I, you know, 70, 20, 10, five is much more like traditional season long payouts. And I think that might attract even more people for them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, hopefully they, you know, like MFL did where they rolled out the 10s first and then, you know, a few months down the road, they'd open up the 25s and later the 1500s. So maybe they'd do that to kind of focus people to do that, to, you know, have the less options to start with while less people are drafting in February and March. Yeah. Or mix up, you know, which one's filling first, you know, uh, maybe how, you know, I I don't know, but I, I, I do just think that they should consider fill rates in the beginning and it's better, you know, cause even from their perspective, the last thing you want is a bunch of people complaining on Twitter that it took their MFL a day and a half to fill yep. <laughs> on, a t- on a $10 game. And, you know, like I know for me, I'm going to be avoiding the four hour ones like the plague yep. because I work and most people do. So I don't worry about those quite as much because I, I find it hard to believe those are going to have the fill rate that the eight hours are because so many people do work. Yeah, exactly. And that was definitely one of the big uh, things of contention when they first announced everything and they were putting the idea of the four hour and everyone was thinking that was going to be the only option. So everyone yeah, was pulling out on that. that. I remember that. Killer for me. Yeah, I me said, too, yeah. You know, I mean, And and the reason is I play 10 to 15 at a time. And the great thing about that is I can check every, you know, during the day with my job on a normal day, I can check every two, three hours and I'm fine. Um, But if, you know, I'm going to be working in a period where I'm not going to be able to check for four hours and I, I get, you know, I get skipped um, I, I'd be pretty upset. So I'll, I'm an eight hour guy, but the other good thing about time clock, again, to be fair, uh, about it is that it looks like there's going to be some kind of clock overnight where it shuts off. I suggested two hours because yeah, I don't I, know about I, I you, but same, I found yeah. myself waking up in the middle of the night and checking my teams and seeing which ones, you know, you wake up especially at my age, you wake up and you hit the can and you come back and, and, you know, I'm like, all right, let me just check real quick to make sure I'm going to be able to make it to morning before I, uh, you know, and, and not get skipped. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there were times, you know, you go out, let's say it's Saturday night, you leave at like seven o'clock, you go to dinner and going out to a bar afterwards and you come home you know, you want to check, and if you're not on the clock, you want to just be able to pass out and wake up in the morning. But if you are on the clock or getting close to it, you know, with eight hours, if you're going to sleep to eight or eight thirty or nine or something, if you're sleeping one off, you're in trouble, especially if you have a dozen of them. 
Well, and at my age, it's just more about, it's more about nine hours of sleep, you know, a solid eight hours of sleep or eight and a half hours. If, you know, sometimes I get real tired with, with my sinus problems. I'll go to bed some days at like nine o'clock and sleep till morning. You know, I don't do that often, but occasionally, and you know, I, if I got 10, 15 drafts going, you know, one of them is going to kick me to the curb. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, overall, I'm excited about it. They seem to be listening, and I'm looking forward to, you know, some of the options are going to be a lot of fun. Uh, looks like they're going to have a, a much better ADP tool, which I think is crucial, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I talked to Scott, and he said, uh, I asked him a point-blank question, are you going to have an open, like an API or something so people can do create some tools and yeah, they're, they're working on that. They're going to have an, an API. So, you know, like a road of is four for four, you know, that, uh, the fantasy ADHD guy and a few others, like the fantasy sharks <laughs> the fantasy create the tools. AD. Like there's all yeah, these different Josh. tools. Josh. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Josh. Yeah. Yeah. So just, you know, all these guys Jesus. that can create the tools just from the API. So that's going to be huge to be able to do that. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Broadway G's website. Yeah, uh, where yep. you can track ADP during the season and your win rates. Um, I think that type of community that MFL 10 fostered is really important because their success is tied to our interest. And the oh, more that the more that we can study, and you know, I know you write for Four for Four. I write for Rotoviz. You know, we both like to hit the podcast circuit. The more talk about best ball, and and certainly the leaders are Ross and Evan on the Fantasy Feast, you know, the more of that that happens, the better it is for them, the more people hear about the leagues. I mean, I I always compare best ball to uh, a one-night stand, right? You know, I think everyone who's ever played fantasy uh, football has at one time joined too many leagues simply because you like to draft. And then you're you're under the weight of the commitment of all these leagues and you're hating life by week eight. You know, best ball is like that one night stand where you get the good part without all the commitment. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, it was funny. You're talking about all the tools and stuff. And one of the things back in 2013, 14, when no one else was really doing them is, I was doing, I had a very crude tool, you know, I had an Excel sheet that I pulled the data down, you know, I taught myself a little bit, you know, kind of pulling down some of the data, just very basic. I mean, it looks primitive compared to some of the tools out there now, but I was the only one that pretty much one of the only people out there that really had really solid ADP data. And I just crushed the drafts because of that. People would, it would it'd be screaming values that people weren't seeing and I could just jump on them. So the first year well, or two, because... I didn't have to do too much work and just, stole people yeah because mfl you know let's face it if we all had plenty of time and weren't drafting on our phones we'd have time to go through each position and scroll down 20 30 40 names to find great values um you know but i'm not tied to an adp but i certainly want to have as much clear information as possible when I make my pick. And in fact, you know, I had a very good year this year, but I hadn't made money my first two years. And I identified four, you know, seemingly little things 
that I thought could help supercharge an MFL and using an ADP tool for uh, every pick is definitely on that list. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just to give you a ballpark, just, Oh, I had, I completely forget about that guy. You know, someone was on an injury like Keenan Allen or, you know, someone that didn't even play last year or you get like a Larry Fitzgerald who all the MFL ADPs dynasty skewed early in the year. So you just do the drop down, you get buried, but he should be a lot higher in the, you know, single season stuff. So just and then all the rookie drafts happen and these rookie, you know, and you're scrolling through like endless rookies. Yeah. Before you get to Fitzgerald. Yeah. yeah well, before yeah. you get to, the, the, you know, even the regular guys, you yeah. know, you, you know, because they, they, you know, and, and I don't blame MFL, uh, but it's certainly that's something that could be upgraded here. Um, is there anything that you've seen so far out of Fanball? that you really love and anything that might be a deal breaker for you? Uh, definitely the most exciting. You kind of hit on it. I didn't, I didn't comment on it yet, but the, like the, uh, the half win, uh, you know, the two X payout, you know, half the top five win twice the money. And then the, the six wins, the, the credit I, that, that was instituted last year in MFL. That was new last year. So I haven't had a chance to play it, which I was Jones to play that. I was all over that. Because I think I think you mentioned last week that like seventy to eighty percent of your leagues last year you were in the top you know five or six. Yeah. So just, I, I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I've been I've been Jones in a play. I just had so much stuff like in my head of like what kind of guys to target. You know, get that huge floor, just load up on, you know, like wide receivers. You don't know, trying to crush a league, but it's. You know, you just want that safe floor, or you know, PPR. Everyone's just getting catches, and you're you know shooting for you know third or fourth place so i'm i can't wait to play that i'm gonna be playing a lot of those i think because i'm just my mindset i'm not you know in dfs i'm more of a cash game guy than like a gpp i'd rather double my money than have an outside shot of quadrupling it so i'm all over those i actually it was 111 out of 149 in uh in mfls and 7 8 11 15 15 out of 18 in FFPCs, I was top six. So, you know, and even with that, I'm not going to be doing these other drafts. Um, A, you know, I I just, I don't want to grind $10 like that. Uh, (laughs) It's just, you know, I'm 55 years old. I'm not doing this to, you know, I mean, look, don't get me wrong. It was really nice almost doubling my money this year. But, uh, you know, and the other thing is, like, when you go to Broadway G site, you know, and you see your, you know, number of wins and number of seconds, I just want to quickly be able, you know, I, I, I pretty much am probably going to pick a format and stick with it, uh, whether it be the 70-20s or the, you know, maybe I'll do a couple of each in the beginning, uh, but I'll probably end up picking a format and sticking with it. Not only for that, like people say to me, what, you know, do you, what, you know, you play FFPC and you play MFLs. Why didn't you play draft? And I'm like, well, it's the difference between DraftKings and, and, and uh, FanDuel. One's half PPR, the other's yeah. half PPR. And I felt like for a guy like me who counts on like this radar of value. Now I verify that value also, but it just seemed to me that mixing and matching them throws your radar off a bit. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, I probably did about 
20 drafts on play draft. And, you know, like I said, like you just said, it had to adjust to the half PPR. And I, I don't think I really fully clicked on that. I did okay in that. I think I about broke even, but it just was not clicking. I'm like, do I do this guy? Do that guy? You know, most of my leagues are PPR, my regular seasonal. Exactly. And then you go back. And then you go well, back to, you know, if you've got both, you go back to, you know, someone might say, well, you did FFPC. That's different. I'm like, yeah, the tight end is 1.5. That's pretty easy to process. It's one calculation. It's not every single player is now worth a different value and touchdowns are worth more. And it, it really, it, you know, again, uh, if, if you've got the time, you got the mental capacity or you got the spreadsheets to do it. God bless you uh, to each his own. But to me, uh, I, you know, I feel like my best chance to win is to stay focused. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Consistent and just go the same. Yeah. That makes sense. Hey. Um, okay. So, you know, uh, if you listen to me last week, one of the things I talked about a lot, and I'll probably be mentioning it on every pod is kind of, you know, in the past, when we've seen these big winning percentages, you know, two years ago, it was David Johnson um, and Lev Bell uh, and Zeke Elliott. And this year it was Lev Bell, uh, Antonio Brown, Gurley and Hopkins had Hopkins. win rates that were way higher than what you would have expected over the next guy just based on you know, their performance, right? Like a, like Melvin Gordon had a 7% win percentage and Lev Bell had a 22% win percentage. Lev Bell wasn't that much better. But because of where Lev Bell was drafted, it put you in perfect position to get Gurley or Hopkins. And the same thing the year before, if you were drafting late in the draft and you took David Johnson, a lot of times you could come back with Bell or Elliot, and that was kind of the winning formula. So I, I'm really kind of focused in on this because it, it, it definitely is a thing. That's when you see these supercharged, you know, winning numbers. And I was just wondering if you remember from the year before that, who the big winners were and where their ADPs were. Oof, I'm trying to remember. It's it's a long time ago. Uh, like I know Jordan Reed I, was the big winner and Cam Newton on quarterbacks. But if you don't remember, it's yeah. no problem. I don't remember. Yeah, uh, I remember Jordan Reed because he was like a 14th round pick or something crazy exactly. like that. And that's but, and that's not what I'm talking about. But yep, yep. you get what I'm talking about, about how if you get have a very oh. successful first round pick and you get that talented guy who slipped for some reason in the second round or in, in Elliott's case, he was a rookie. It's the combination of those two that really – because normally, like at most positions like quarterback and tight end, you don't see winning percentages much above 15%. It's running back and wide receivers where you get these 25 to 30, and it's early round picks. So it's not like some guy that, you know, like Kamara had a 22% win percentage, but Gurley had a 30% win percentage. Well, that doesn't make sense from the perspective of you got Kamara eight rounds later, right? Yeah, yeah, so exactly. I started, yeah, so I started thinking, well, what's causing this? And then I realized, well, you know, all these first-round picks who bombed, and especially the later, you know, when you were drafting someone 
late first this year, who are you coming back in round two with? Amari Cooper, Des Bryant, um, Jay Ajayi, a lot of busts. That deflated the winning percentages of a guy like Gordon, even though he had a pretty good year. But yep, Bell yeah, like, and like Brown, said. who stayed healthy up front, Gurley's ADP and Hopkins' ADP allowed you to draft them almost at will if you wanted to at the end of the second round. Yeah, it's almost like a combination of, like you said, targeting those guys. I love that point that you had where targeting the guys, I was going to bring this up later, targeting the guys that were you know, first-round talent but are going in the second, third round. Like you said, Gurley, Hopkins, you know, T.Y. Hilton this year, probably some other guys. But I just yeah. love that combination, that, that thought that it's almost partial little luck of the draw of kind of where you're drafting, but it's also have that foresight of taking that guy, you know, not shying well, away from Gurley. It not, isn't, it isn't, because yep. if you do 100 drafts, you're going to have, you know, a percentage of each part of the draft. You, you know, there's been years like where I've had an inordinate amount of, say, the fifth pick and the 11th pick, but... In general, you know, the first quadrant, the second quadrant, and the third, uh, third, I mean, not quadrant, you know, (laughs) you're going to end up with about an even amount of the first third, you know, picks one to four, pick five to eight, and pick nine to 12. So you're going to have plenty of chances at everyone. It's a matter of, you know, using this tool that I I, I believe is, a, you know, look, nothing is a home run. But two years in a row, it's what led to the big seasons. So you want to look out for it. And the thing that is in common is that the guys who were suppressed were really talented guys with, you know, top of the first round ability who, because of partially things out of their control in Hopkins and Gurley's case, ended up being much later picks. Yeah. I mean, if, yeah, exactly. If you can, you're getting out of the you know the first three rounds with hopefully two guys that are at first round value. That's a solid base. That's as long as you don't screw up the rest of it, you're gonna be in really good chance of chance of winning it. Yeah, and like anything else, I'm not saying do you know. Let's say you know you have a chance to get you know. Uh, let's say you could go back in time and 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 I knew that that Gurley was gonna have a great season. I didn't know how great. Would I still take him 50% of the time if I could? No, that doesn't make sense. You know, I, 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 you know, I'm not advising that you go crazy or go out of your way to do this. I'm just saying it's definitely something to be cognizant of. And it's, it, it seems to explain these really super high win rates that we see from time to time. And it's always at the running back and wide receiver position. Yeah. Cause outside of, you know, like Gronk or, pretty much it the first three four rounds it's just running back wide receiver so you're gonna Absolutely. load up on those guys and those guys can be the win with the you know the winners for outside of hitting the home run like a a late round uh rookie or you know someone come back from injury that pays off yep now you write for four for four on best ball how cool is it working with chris raybon and tj hernandez two of the smartest and nicest people in the industry did i kiss oh, those too much guys- ass there <laughs> just a bit uh no but no that they're great they're fantastic and uh i had done you know prior to that i'd done you know i wrote a couple articles at fake pigskin i wrote you know just a few random thoughts on like a blog i had nothing really crazy and then they kind of approached me and asked if i wanted to do some do some writing for them and i hadn't really done any kind of a 
official formal writing job ever. And so I kind of jumped on that and TJ was my, you know, direct editor. So just working with him, you know, on a weekly basis, you know, getting my, helping him, helping me get my thoughts together, putting them in order, you know, really formatting it, not just, you know, coming up with the numbers, but really how to articulate everything was just awesome. Cause just seeing how that guy's mind works. I mean, he used to, oh. you know, play, play poker online like crazy. Now he does this and he just has that analytical mind for these kind of things and it just clicks for him. So just, and he's, he's able to articulate that really well on paper. So just being able to yeah, learn Sean from him Siegel, and everything. Sean Siegel at Rotoviz has done some of that for me. Um, you know, critiquing my articles and helping me to get better. It really does make a big difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I haven't yeah, written I anything longer than an email. You know, I'm 55 and uh, I haven't written anything longer than an email in almost 40 years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I barely do any writing in my job too. So it's just like, what do you do? Kind of a, sh- a shock to the system. I'm a kind of a sales ops analyst. So I do a lot of numbers, you know, sales related numbers at a, at a tech company. So it's, you know, writing, creating some PowerPoint slides and, you know, really analyzing the numbers and giving recommendations, that kind of stuff. So it's kind of, you know, the same vein, the analytical vein of this, but in no way am I writing. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's great. But in no way am I writing, you know, four page documents or anything. Yeah. I've been a sales rep for about 25 years. So I I definitely, you know, but I I mean, a a guy like you is gold. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, appreciate your sales ops guy. Your sales <laughs> Send him a basket at Christmas at the very least. Yeah. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit about your general strategies for best ball. And if you think you might change anything up going forward now that, you know, you've had a year to sit back and kind of look at everything. Yeah. So I, you, you mentioned it on the, either the road of his podcast or, or this one uh, last week where you know, you kind of have to absorb all the strategies. And like you said earlier, you don't just, you know, go strictly by ADP, but it's kind of the culmination of all of that. So like, like I said, you know, a couple of years ago, I used to be able to almost just use ADP and kind of my analytical advantage and almost didn't matter about the players because I would get all-star teams and that helped a lot. But now that everyone has the same data, everyone's kind of on the same page, you kind of have to, you know, do a little parry and joust there, kind of, kind of move. So, you know, I know you know all the alternate line, or the optimum lineup construction. You know, two to three quarterbacks. You know, all the defense, tight ends, all that kind of stuff. But that that going gets you so far, kind of like you had you had mentioned. So just kind of letting the draft come to you. You know, it's it's that kind of style. So that's kind of my my base of that is you know taking the the best player player available, but within reason. You know, doing that kind of stuff. But really, you know, just kind of looking deep at it. You know, really diving into the different strategies that are kind of being employed and really being able to be flexible. And I know one of my biggest things is I'm not the best player analyzer. So I really have to get better. I know that's one of my weaknesses, really get better at reading, you know, different articles on different sites and on a player level, not necessarily in the strategy of best ball, but more the player themselves and really come up with my own opinion of putting the stake in ground on certain players and get a little, little better at that. I've you always... know what's interesting with that, though, <clears throat> if I could jump in for a sec. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as someone who's always had a pretty good knack for that, I think it's combination. 
And, you know, I don't have the math brain that you have to put. Like, I wish I could come up with some kind of formula, you know, where it's like talent times opportunity (laughs) minus, you know, X, Y, and Z. You know, that's not my strength. But I do know that opportunity, especially at certain positions, is as important as talent. And in other positions, you know, if you listened, and I'm honored that you listen to both of my pods, but one of my other big takeaways for those who haven't heard my Road of His appearance or the, the show I did last week is quarterback, because it is such a stable position, I really believe it makes sense to take one volatile guy with one stable guy because the ability to put up those big weeks at quarterback, if you look at the win percentage of Cam Newton and Russell Wilson, and you look at all the factors that could have led to it, the one thing you can go back to is they had a couple really huge weeks that drove their, you know, their winning percentage. I mean, it makes no sense that Russell Wilson would have had a higher win percentage than Carson Wentz, who was, you know, before Wentz's injury. Wilson yep. was five, six points ahead of Wentz, even though he was drafted six rounds earlier. So, you know, that's another thing that I'm going to be applying is, you know, mixing a volatile quarterback with someone who traditionally has more stability. So it's finding some, you know, I don't want to be the guy who's down on roster construction. If I can find an advantage, I'm going to. But it's, you know, I just don't think there's a huge advantage between two and three quarterbacks that I should make my whole strategy around it. But I really feel that knowing talent is very important, but opportunity is just as important. Yeah, I mean, that's perfect. Like just you could apply that to almost any position, too. I mean, if you get if you draft Gronk, you know, he might be injury prone. So you draft a stable guy like a Witten or something who's most likely not going to get you many weeks at all or do much. But if Gronk goes down, you got the stable floor. So Gronk's going to, you know, boom or, boom or bust, pretty much boom most weeks that he that he plays. But if you get a guy, you know, it's a little more steady. I'm trying to think. I'm blanking on uh, some steady tight ends. There's not many of them. Or, but, well, you Ertz, know, grabbing a couple, Ertz, couple of balls. I know yeah. he, you're not going to yeah. put him with Gronk, but Ertz, had an amazing, if you look at his weekly numbers, he had an amazing, you know, for a guy who is considered very volatile coming into the year, he was, um, he was the most consistent tight end because he got the most consistent targets other than Gronk and Kels. Yep. Yes. He paired those guys up. Is there any other uh, strategies that you found helpful that you want to share with the audience? Yeah, absolutely. Is, if you know, well, if if it's one of your advantages of knowing kind of the rookies and the college guys, every year they kind of get underdrafted and almost overdrafted a little bit, because the year Zeke kind of you know started that kickoff a couple of years ago, because he was before the NFL draft he was going like the third fourth round, and then once Dallas drafted him he's going in the first round and paid off there, he, you know he hit there, and then this past year you know guys like and. Uh, Fournette and like McCaffrey and, and those guys who you know were pretty pretty known to be the top guys were going at pretty decent value. They're going actually maybe even too high at the time because the Zeke effect kind of happened. And then after this year, 
and all those all those uh, rookie running backs hit. I mean, so many of them, even at later guys like people took Hunt and Kamara later than than McCaffrey's and Fournette's. So if you know those guys and you're confident in your kind of college scouting, you know, don't be afraid to grab some of those guys later, but don't chase them. And the best case scenario is they're going to hit hit the value. They're going to get, you know, don't draft like a Fournette or McCaffrey in like the second or third round because they may not hit depending on what they're going to get drafted. They well, could end up in a bad, bad landing spot. you don't need to know the landing spot yet. So it's yeah, really exactly. hard to, to, you know, but I, I you know, I, I feel like, you know, my, my answer to that the first two years was just don't draft early. I didn't start drafting until, until after the NFL draft last year, I decided, I forget who encouraged me. It was one of the two QB guys. I forget which one, uh, but one of somebody encouraged me and I, I did it. And like anything else, I, I feel like I found some advantages to take, you know, to play. I think the big name guys have a tendency to be overdrafted. And some of the other guys have a tendency to be underdrafted. Like one of my early drafts, I got McCaffrey in the ninth round. Um, so. You know, and, and, and then, you know, but then again, you know, again, ADP hadn't settled yet. And, you know, once ADP settles that you couldn't get them there anymore. So, but one guy who was way, you know, the big name guy was Corey Davis and everyone loved Corey Davis. He was the draft analyst's favorite. And whether you watch tape or not, you know, he was going in the fourth round early. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a second. You know, I, I even got uh, drafted him once or twice around there myself. And then I was like, wait a second. This is a guy who was out of, what, Western Illinois? I mean, it wasn't a big school. Uh, Western Michigan, Western Illinois. I'm sorry. I don't know that. <laughs> but um, And I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to draft him. Because rookie wide receivers, you know, other than that one year where they all hit, historically rookie wide receivers and rookie tight ends take a while, especially tight end and rookie rookie quarterbacks. I don't even want to look at, you know, I don't care that Deshaun Watson hit it big, you know, 90% of the, of the quarterbacks who've come out, you know, have that one, you know, whether it's Peyton Manning, Troy Aikman, they had that first year where they're just not very good. Right, because the really good quarterbacks tend to end up on really bad teams. So I, I'm not even looking to draft uh, first-round quarterbacks in the first 20 rounds until I know where they're going to land. But running backs are historically the position where if you're good, you're going to start right away, and you're going to be good right away. So I've started doing tape. And I'm going to spend a lot more time early on running backs because I think that's where you can gain the biggest uh, advantage. Um, And I do also think that if you just avoid and punt rookies, that that's a terrible mistake. I did that my second year. And I, I think if you're going to be in these leagues with all these people who know college football really well, you have to at least have a working knowledge of the people. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, the running backs are the the, the ones that are going to hit for rookies and uh, and almost take 
you know, spread it out. You know, take a couple, maybe one or two flyers, especially late. You might get like a, a Hunt or a Kamara later. I forget what the, what ADP they're going before the NFL draft. But. Hunt was in the 14th and 15th. Yeah, so there you go. I mean, um, that's a dark, you know, that's a dark throw. Before the draft. Yeah. I mean, especially at running back, that's a, that's a dart throw at that point, and you're just hoping for something. You're you're taking guys that you hope the starter gets injured, and then they can play or something like that. That's well, kind of your best bet. And as you mentioned with your Gronk example earlier, this is where roster construction is important. It's very important. You know, if you've got if you've got three really stable good running backs on your team, why not take a chance on a rookie in the 12th, 13th round? If you feel that you've got, you know, a bunch of shaky running backs and you're in the 13th, 14th round, you know, I'm going to look more at a Jonathan Stewart type, you know, a guy who, you know, is going to get his carries. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking Jonathan Stewart last year or a Frank Gore, whose ADP at some, at one, most of the early part was 11th, 12th round. And then somehow he went up to the eighth round. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I, I think that's important. And then what do you do about free agents? Uh, I think that's one of the great opportunities, but I wanted to get your thoughts on free agents before they sign with teams. That is tough because I was looking at like like Mark Ingram is probably a big example because what happens, he's a free agent and he's gone. He's okay. He's great. He's going somewhere. Is he going to be the lead back? He, maybe he gets buried somewhere and he's leaving New Orleans, obviously a great team. But if he stays, could he become second fiddle to Kamara? Does he take a step back? So he is a wide range of outcomes, I think. I think he could end up in a team as like the, the second back. So who knows? So it's he's definitely a gamble. Uh, but you're taking guys like, you know, Sammy Watkins. He's a huge gamble because he's expressed interest that he might stay with the Rams. And if he does, does he do like nothing like he did this year with them? So it's it's tough. You got to go, you know, case by case. You know, quarterbacks are probably generally, generally safer because, like Cousins, he's going somewhere. He's starting. If he stays, he's starting. But then you, you also have to look at the other side of things of guys that are affected by free agents, like Jamison Crowder and Doxson. Like if Cousins stays, that helps him. But if he leaves and they get some junk quarterback, that could crater their value. So you know, it's not just looking at the free agents themselves, but looking at kind of the the team around the free agents, especially if it's a quarterback. So yeah. I try to I, I, go ahead. Keep going. No, I was going to say running backs, like I said, has probably the biggest range because it could get buried in a backfield, but wide receivers, free agents, generally, if they're going to another team, you know, they're signed as, you know, big money, they're going to hopefully be focused or, you know, really targeted. So those guys, I might focus a little more on the wide receivers versus like a running back or, Tight, tight ends generally don't do a whole lot in free agency, so that's a, that's a that's a tricky one, though. Yeah, for me, I feel like early, I'm not I, I I'm going to take stable guys as much as I can, but there's two things that I think about when it comes to this. You know, I wrote an article called. Uh, for football diehards called investing like, you know, in players like Warren Buffett invests in stocks and Warren Buffett has a history of buying companies that are on the down, but he's always looking for a durable asset. And to me, 
that durable asset is talent. So I'm thinking, how much talent does this guy have? And and then you kind of have to do this mental gymnastics of what would his ADP be if he landed in the perfect spot? What would his ADP be in my mind if he landed in a bad spot? And where is he now? And based on those three factors, I'm going to have a level of where I'm comfortable drafting a guy. The people that I really tend to find um, are great values. Last year, I was drafting Pierre Garcon early in the 12th, 13th round. You know, he was, he was a guy with talent that people had just kind of, you know, you, you don't even know if he's going to end up on a team, people think. But I felt like he was a guy in the 12th, 13th round who had 7th, 8th, ninth round potential. So I took a certain amount of exposure in him. Again, back to risk. Manage your risk. You don't want to have too little risk, and you don't want to have too much risk. So figure, you know, all those factors, and then, you know, take some shots on guys. Don't be the guy who, you know, looks back like I did a couple years back at Jordan Reed in the 14th round and says, oh, man, how did I miss that? I love that guy, but he had a concussion, so I didn't draft him at all. You know, if I had just drafted in 10 to 15 percent of my drafts, I would have that might have been the difference between just not winning money and winning money. Uh, What do you think about all that? Oh, exactly. I mean, I'm looking at the the free agency list at wide receiver and the one that jumps out to me, screams out at me, you know, Allen Robinson. I'm curious what his ADP is going to open up at. I mean, he's coming off ACL. He's out, you know, the whole year. He's a free agent. He's going to go somewhere. He's probably going to get good money. And he'll be the main guy there wherever he's going. Hell, he could go to San Fran. He could be the main guy there for uh, Garoppolo. So he could be. I would be, love that. Yeah, I mean, as a well, Pat's fan, uh, it's bittersweet. But uh, I like Garoppolo. I got nothing against him. But uh, yeah, I mean, he could. <laughs> Alan Robinson or like Landry could garner you know starter money, like you know the wide receiver one at a, at a place, and could just destroy it so you know if his adp opens up in like the third fourth the hell even fifth round or something i'd jump all over that but if he opens up in the you know the second third that's kind of his upside baked in almost so that's that's a little little tricky so you kind of have to see what the value kind of starts at exactly in general i don't want to draft guys who i feel if they give me their best i'm getting their adp You know, I look at like Doug Baldwin, I always use him as the example. He was my most owned player over my first two years, if you combine the two years. And I had almost none of them this year because it just didn't feel like he had much potential above being a late second round pick. Oh, yeah, that's crazy high. Yeah. And and, well, because the, the word that I look for is stable. As soon as someone starts being described as stable, we all know that it's the NFL. There really isn't a ton of stability. So if you're drafting a guy because he's stable, you're probably overdrafting him a little bit. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, uh, so moving forward, is there anything in mind for content for next year that, you know, you're going to be looking into? Well, I might revisit this one. Uh, kind of piggybacking on kind of what you had talked about uh, a week or so ago with uh, the sacking. So I kind of wanted to ask you about that, you know, just the, the general DFS style 
QB wide receiver stacking. But what we had done, this was big back in 2014. I had worked a lot with uh, Matt Riddle on this, kind of the idea. But it's late wide receiver stacking on the same team. So you draft the, the wide receiver in two and three on a team, you know, that are going in like the, you know, 14th round plus that are just like kind of throwaway guys. Like on the Pats, you know, Hogan and Amendola were going late, you know, but outside of like Malcolm Mitchell, they were, you know, the second, third guys. You drafted those, you know, you draft both of them, you know, and any given week, one of them could get targeted, could get focused on and have the big game and, or catch the long touchdown. But generally between those two guys, you're going to have some good weeks. So I really want to kind of dig back into that. It kind of got away, kind of got away from that over the last couple of years, but to really looking at team by team, seeing, you know, what pairs of wide receivers you can get cheap. So you get both of them. If you're taking dart throws, might as well take them on the same team, especially good teams. You know, you look at like uh, Sanu and uh, like Gabriel or, you know, one of those pairs in uh, Atlanta. You know, you got Matt Ryan's a good quarterback. You know, obviously Julio's kind of taking a decline. But so you look at those guys, if you did that this past year, you, you would have had Sanu and he would have lit it up for you. I mean, he did, he had a great season. So you're just kind of looking at that. It's a kind of a different strategy. Uh, I, I don't think I've seen anyone really talk about it recently, but like I said, it was big, you know, three, four years ago. So I'm curious what yeah, your thoughts I, on that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I again, I, I, I look at all strategies and I would love to read an article on that and see some numbers. Um, my guess is that you're better off doing it on, you know, with volume on different teams than mixing them together with late picks because the upside is only so much, you know, as good as Sanu was, you know, he was, you know, worth maybe a a 10th round pick instead of a 15th. He wasn't going to win you your league. Uh, Solid, right? Uh, But if you have to draft, you know, if you drafted Gabriel who gave you nothing, you know, I, I would just have to weigh that. I'll tell you what I did, and I've written a couple articles on this. It's called stack cuffing. One time I I heard a guy talking, you know, a couple guys on Twitter were arguing about handcuffing in MFL 10s. And, and I was saying, I don't believe in handcuffing except in occasional situations like a Jordan Reed with a Vernon Davis. I would consider, you know, handcuff, a true handcuff. Um because too many things can go wrong. And, you know, especially in the old days with running back, the, the, the backup would get almost the full workload. Now, if a running back one gets hurt and you've got his backup, he could be in a three-man committee and, 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 or, or the other guy is the one who gets the job. So what I came up with is a concept called stack huffing. And I talk about uh, Coleman and Freeman from two years ago. And how, you know, if you look back, what they did together ended up with Freeman in the first round and Coleman in the fifth or sixth. And I wasn't interested in cuffing them together with that much value. But I was looking for, you know, and this is something I do in general. I look at situations that worked uh, successfully in the past, and I look to see if there's any opportunities that mirror what had worked in the past. So I came up with Bilal Powell and Matt Forte and that lost some of its luster once camp started and it, and it looked like McGuire was a threat. But the one that I've really ended up doing, I did it six times 
Uh, and when you consider, you know, post-draft six times, that, that's a pretty good number. I drafted Ware and Hunt together. And the theory behind it was because Hunt was drafted, Ware dropped from a fourth-round pick to a sixth- or seventh-round pick. Well, he was a great value there with a little bit of risk. Well, you mitigate the risk by taking Hunt because if something happens to where, now you've got the starting running back in the 10th round. Or and, and, and the downside isn't bad because if they both play, they both could pay off. You know, it's, it's not inconceivable. They could both pay off their draft spot of a 7th and a 10th round pick. So it kind of the thought of would you trade in a season-long draft a fourth-round draft pick for a 7 and a 10? You, you'd probably do that every time. So I did stack up Ware and Hunt, and when Ware went down, I had Hunt. So I think that that's the kind of cuffing that I look to do. It's not one I go into a draft saying, hey, I'm going to stack cuff. But if I pick up Ware in the seventh round and I got a screaming deal on him and Hunt's in the 10th and 11th round, and he's a pretty good deal there too, I like stacking them together. Yeah, it definitely is an interesting strategy, especially if they're kind of too late guys. I mean, obviously every year that the Pats running backs are kind of that. So, if, you know, you grab, grab a pair of them late and, you know, any given week they, you know, one or both can kind of pay off and, but obviously the Pats See, that, is a little, little tricky situation because there's like five of them there. But Exactly. I'm looking for situations where you it, really believe it's going to be one of the two guys. Even if you believe it's going to be a two-third, one-third share, by grabbing both of them, you've narrowed the, you know, your downside. There's very little chance of them both not paying off their draft spot. So how would, you, how would you handle – yeah, I think maybe this coming year, let's say Ingram re-signs with the Saints, which it could be like a Tevin Coleman-Freeman kind of situation then. Would you draft no, both? No, because they're one... both drafted too early. They're both drafted too early, yeah. They're both dra- it, the key to making yeah. this work, finding a guy who's not a stud, you know, like where. Yep. People yep. weren't convinced, you know, people were drafted. If people were convinced about where before they drafted Hunt, he wouldn't have been going in the fourth round. He'd be going in the second. So yep. it's that it's that this year what made I would have I I ended up drafting a lot of Kamara but not a lot of Ingram and I never stack cuffed them because Peterson was in the equation and I don't want to guess a, a two I don't want two of a three man backfield because then if yep. you're wrong you're dead in the water. Yeah. But in a situation with Ware and Hunt I really felt like you know most likely scenario that was going to be a two third one third split without injury. And I didn't know which one would be the two thirds and which one would be the one thirds, but it didn't matter. I got both of them. And, and, yep. as, as, and if it stayed stable at a two thirds in its most likely scenario of two thirds, one third, I, I would have paid off both of their draft spots very nicely. That's when I'm looking to add the second guy, you know, it makes no sense to take a, you know, a Kamara with an Ingram. It's just like in DFS, I played Kamara and Ingram in the same lineup that week that they were both in the low fours. And, but when they get up to seven, eight grand, you're not going to play them both in the same lineup, right? It, you know, yep, it's yeah, exactly. too much can, can go wrong. So it's kind of the same thing. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, yeah, you definitely you're looking obviously, you know, the the crux of it is if everything's if everyone stays healthy, both guys can hit your starting lineup. And then obviously exactly. if something breaks breaks your it away, then your worst case scenario is they pay off value and your best case scenario is one guy gets hurt and the other guy crushes. Yep. And and or so, at, or at the worst or at the worst keeps the same value overall, but covering correct. covering the injured guy, yeah. Yeah, and and yep. and the truth is that whoever was going to get volume in Kansas City, an offense that has traditionally Andy Reid running backs have always had value. You you know, again, I'm taking risk by putting them on the same team, but it's a small risk with a big upside. That's the kind of risk I want to take every time. Uh, not every time. But, and yeah. you know, after I wrote the article, people were adding me on Twitter. Hey, I'm stack cuffing. I'm stack cuffing. And I'm like, I, I felt like I had to write a second article. I'm like, dude, this is not something. This isn't the thing, right? This isn't something you go into a draft saying, I'm going to stack cuff. To me, it initializes when you get that first value guy. You know, if, if where yeah. is available in the fifth round and I take them, I'm a lot less interested in Hunt in the 10th. But if I, you know, think about it, seventh round and 10th round, there's a very good chance I'm going to win that equation. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what Peters and that's what Coleman and Freeman were the year before, if you think about it. Yep. Yeah. It's just another so, kind of arrow in your quiver where you're, you know, you're doing that. You're, do I, do I graph, do I graph Gronk? Do I take three quarterbacks? You know, do I do just, four or five running backs? Do I go wide receiver heavy? Do I do three defenses? You know, you just have have all those options. I don't, exactly. And you pointed to what I said last week. I don't want to go into a draft saying, this is what I'm going to do. Because I want to be, I want to take the best players, especially early that I can get. But if those four people are wide receivers, and now I'm like, well, I'm already in zero running back, basically. Well, then People always forget zero running back isn't just taking a bunch of wide receivers and tight ends. It's taking certain types of running backs. Yep. Exactly. So, you know, so, so exactly. So let the draft come to you is the, the number one principle and then take that, you know, again, what I'm always looking for is a good value to where I'm, uh, it's a small risk and I have a chance for a big reward. Some, you know, because guess what? If Ware and Hunt were both healthy and let's say Sharkandrick West also somehow got in the mix. We didn't expect it, but he did. I'd still get a decent amount of value out of those two other two, at least one of them, right? It's not like yeah. that's not going to cost me an MFL. But what you you what so what you're looking for is a situation where it's not going to kill you if it doesn't go your way, but it has a chance to win you an MFL if it does. Yep. Yeah, I can imagine uh, kind of just parlaying that into you know if I do those uh, you know the two X where the top half half wins leagues, that can be a huge strategy because then you have such a huge floor. You're just locked and loaded. I don't even want to think huge. about that because I don't want my brain <laughs> I, going I am. there. But, but, it, but if you're a, a cash personality, yeah, I think it's something to consider. I'd want to, I'd want to look into it definitely. But it, again, all these strategies are options. Another interesting phenomenon over the last uh, – hold on one second. 
Oh, yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is kind of human nature and how what worked last year is what everyone gets influenced about for this year. Based on what we've seen this year, are there certain trends or things like, you know, for a couple of years, everyone just wanted wide receiver early and now running backs have had two really good years. What do you think are going to be the trends that we're going to see out of the crowd in 2018? Well, it's funny is going back to 2014 and a little bit of 15 was actually the running backs were winning the leagues because people weren't drafting NFLs correctly. They were, you know, drafting like one or two running backs, then punting the position. So they just screwed up the, the, the draft because it was new and no one knew what they're doing exactly. So everyone went running back heavy there. And then in 2000, what was it? Uh, 2016 15, people 15. had a very running back heavy teams. And that was like the running back apocalypse where everyone just like died on the field. <laughs> that's why so, I didn't make money. My first, I, I almost did, yeah. but I, that's why I was down 15% that year because yeah. I, I, I went, you know, I went real running back heavy. Yeah, exactly. Cause that, that's what the data said. The data was saying that in the past, this is the way to win it. So everyone was like, okay, I'll just do that and I'll win. And obviously, and it, it was work working. Out. I had like an eighteen yeah. percent win rate, and uh, maybe no, I had over a twenty percent win rate until like I remember. I'll never forget when Jamal Charles got hurt. I think it was, you know, mm-hmm. or, or whoever the first big injury was, you know, and, and Arian and was, Foster probably. I I I did have a lot of Arian Foster. Yeah. I I I believed in the Arian race. <laughs> Arian Foster. Yeah, but then uh, yeah. So I think it was yeah last year, like you said, two thousand kind of. 17 was everyone wide receiver heavy and the running backs crushed it. But the thing is a lot of it was rookie running backs. And then there's another big, you know, rookie running back class coming in. So I wonder this year how overdrafted rookie running backs pre NFL draft are going to be. They're going to be, it's, you know, you see guys, all those guys, you know, like Chubb and Geis and all those guys probably going like the second round or something, the first, second round, I bet. And then they're going to be horrible landing spots or something or disappointing then it's going to be a pullback in 2019 where it's going to be, oh, avoid rookie running backs. So who knows? Well, it's going to be crazy. Yeah, well, I, I think about, like, something, you know, Chris or TJ could study because wide receiver touchdowns, number of wide receivers who've had 10 touchdowns kind of fell off the cliff the last two years. I wonder how much of that is tied to the overall decline of the quarterbacks with some of these really great quarterbacks getting older, like Manning and Breeze retiring, um, and and no one really stepping up at the quarterback position, you know, everyone wants to blame the wide receivers, but I, I wonder how much of it is quarterback play too. Yeah, the combination of that and, you know, there's so many good corners nowadays where they just shut down the, the number one wide receiver, so they spread it around a lot more too. Yeah, and so – I wonder. I wonder and, Go ahead. I was going to say, I wonder if the play is to really load up on, you know, go running back heavy early, load up on, you know, get like eight, nine wide receivers, but all like the wide receiver twos on teams. And then just hope they kind of piece together, you know, you know, touchdowns week to week. Well, that's the hyper fragile strategy of Mike Beers. And that's another arrow in my quiver. You know, if I'm in a draft and the first three guys that I, you know, when I come up, the best player is the running back the first three times. 
I might go hyper fragile the rest of the draft. And, and, and that's an application of what I mean by, you know, adapting your strategy to what each draft shows you. Yeah. And you got to know which draft you're in. I mean, that obviously makes sense for the winner take all, but maybe it doesn't make sense with the first four kind of get payouts. Yeah. That, that's, that's another thing you got to, you know, I think I would just play that straight because, you know, typically if you've got a good amount of firsts, you've also got a good amount of seconds and thirds. So I, I, I like that a little better because it just gives you a, a little bit better ability to, you know, I would rather, you know, let's say I have 40 first seconds and thirds, right? I would yeah. rather take it. I'd rather take a chance that I get screwed a little bit and that 20 of them are first places then end up with, you know, 30 second places and only 10 first places. And, and you know, so I, I would rather, you know, because as long as you're doing well. Uh, but back to my other subject, I wanted to ask you a little bit about another trend. We saw late quarterback in a way that I, I can't ever remember. You know, Carson Wentz, Alex Smith, Deshaun Watson, I can't ever remember three late quarterbacks hitting it as Goff. big as <laughs> Goff. Four. I can't remember yeah. four late quarterbacks hitting it as late uh, as, you know, just the nail on the head as they did this year. Now, obviously, those players aren't going to be the late round quarterbacks this year. So I'm wondering, you know, it's already a thing to wait on quarterbacks. I'm wondering how many people look at the data and say, well, I'm just going to wait on quarterback. Look, you can nail a quarterback late, but historically that's not the case. Not, not to the level we saw this year. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, yeah, those guys all just kind of took a step forward. It was crazy, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's so many, almost every team now has a, you know, a serviceable, pretty much a serviceable level quarterback. So uh, you know, outside of a, you know just a couple of the Browns and and a few others, but uh, you know, so grabbing you know maybe that stud if he slips in you know the sixth, seventh, eighth round, just get one and then get the get another guy that's serviceable. You could be good, or just grab you know two or three late guys. Like you said, that's it's it's doable now. You know, you can grab especially if you want to get, grab three, just grab three late guys and you know cross your and, fingers and then hope. You know, uh, but that, that, you know, my my number one owned quarterback this year was Russell Wilson because, you know, he had a bad year because he played on half, you know, one and a half legs for most of the season (laughs) in in 2016. That was a, that was a pretty easy map for me to draw. I'm wondering based on the success of the late quarterbacks, if everyone's thinking, well, I'll just draft three late, I'll, you know, if that pushes the top end guys like Rogers, especially coming off injuries, you know, Rogers was the third round pick two years ago. This year, he was pretty much a fourth round pick in most drafts. I'm wondering if you're going to see Rogers in the fifth, sixth round next year. Decent possibility, but then it also depends what time of the year, because early on, you're going to have all the you know, the degenerates like us drafting, but once you get to like June, July, August, those quarterbacks generally creep up a little bit as kind of the, the average player gets in and kind of wants, you know, that one stud. So they'll, they'll kind of creep forward a little bit. So generally if you're going to grab one of those guys, 
you know, grab him early in the season, grab him February, March, April, I think. But, uh, you know, if he, if he is in, you know, the fourth, third, fourth, fifth round, it's still hard to take a quarterback there, especially if there's good talent out there with how many wide receivers and running backs there are, especially with the committees and everything. It just kind of spreads it out. Yeah, it, uh, it's an interesting dilemma, but something to keep in mind if someone who was a very high, you know, you got to expect Wilson to be going earlier next year. You're not going to, you know, he was in the eighth, ninth round at times during the off season. I mean, it was just silly. And even where he ended up, he was, he was still a pretty good value, but let's talk other opportunities like that. Let's talk players, anyone you expect to be over or undervalued, any players that you really like, or you think, you might be priced out of in 2018. And by priced out of, I mean, I'll give you one guy. I love Alvin Kamara, had a lot of Alvin Kamara this year. I expect him to be a late first round pick this year. And I just don't know if I can spend a first round, you know, depending on where Ingram ends up. I just don't know that I can spend a first round pick on a guy like that. Uh, just like I bought almost no Freeman this year. So give me a sense of some values and some guys that you really like that you think are going to be overpriced and out of your budget. I just think pretty much all the the guys that are going to be there in their second year, the running backs like the Kamara and Fournette and all those guys, I think almost all of them are going to be pretty heavily drafted just because, you know, they did well this year. Like even Dalvin Cook coming back, I think he'll be heavily drafted because there'll be a lot of, you know, dynasty guys and, and those kind of players. So I think it'll get pushed up and probably avoid them. I'd rather get a, like a, a Melvin Gordon cheaper, or like, you know, some of those other guys, like a Kenyon Drake, little, you know, later. I think he might be a good value. Or, you know, on the flip side, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how some of those guys land because Drake I could see being a value or I could see being way overdrafted because everyone jumps <laughs> exactly. on him and saying he's going to be the starting. And then watch Assumptions. Miami draft a, draft a running back. Well, we're just keeping Damian Williams and doing the two third, one third thing to keep Drake fresh. Yeah, yeah, and if and if he is cheap, that could be a great, you know, uh, cuff stacking, like you said. Well, but again, yeah, I again, I, I you know, if I can get Drake in the fifth round, I'm happy to add someone else to him. If he, but he's yep. most likely, especially early, going to go third, fourth round, and that's where I think the big advantages are. Look where the field is assuming something isn't really a great assumption. And I think that's a great place to find opportunities. Um, I know you, uh, you know, so let's finish with one or two other, you know, more questions. But before I do that, I, I know you had wanted to ask me a couple things. I know we already got to some of them, but I at least wanted to give you the opportunity to see if there's anything else you wanted to ask me. I think the main stuff was the, some of the stacking stuff. I just really wanted to talk about that. We we hit the you know the nail on the head, and uh, you kind of had that new one with the, the cuff stacking that I don't think you had talked about last week. So I pretty much hit everything. I don't know if you have anything else in the in the pipe besides those coming up that you're you know hot to to write about and kind of dig into. Well, I, I really think well, there's two. Th- You know, I did mention the defenses last week. I think the defenses, people don't want to spend time studying them. I think they're a great opportunity. Um, And I did mention in the last week's article, I'm going to spend a lot more time on offensive line than I have in the past. You know, Paul Perkins was being drafted in the eighth round. 
and the Giants had no offensive line. They had proven that they couldn't run, and he was a guy who, you know, it wasn't like he had some great pedigree either. Um, in general, and then you look at Gurley and the move of Whitworth and uh, Sullivan over there, you know, everyone wants to give Sean McVay the credit, and he certainly deserves a lot of it. But I don't think they have nearly the season they do if they don't add those two guys. So I, I'm going to follow offensive line movement a lot more. I'm going to really try and, you know, avoid players that have are on teams with bad offensive lines and focus on, you know, my value guys. You know, once you get past the first six, seven rounds, you know, letting offensive line, uh, A, I want to write about it. I want to see if there's something that's worth writing about. And B, I want to uh, spend more time on it because I think it's a hidden advantage that most people, you know, they might think a little bit about it, but it's not something that they're they're thinking of every time they make a pick. Wouldn't you agree? No, that makes sense. And yeah, I'd love to, to read some more about that. That's definitely one of my weak spots is, you know, the offensive line and then some of the defenses. So that's uh, definitely worth digging into. Yeah. All right. Let's finish with one or two more questions about you. How much DFS and season long do you still play? And do you play any other sports? I mean, tell us a little, a little more personal stuff about Mike Margosian. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So DFS, I did the beginning of the season, you know, I've done DFS football a couple, couple of years. I've done that. Uh, this year I played probably about half the season and then I kind of just stopped and, you know, I was kind of trailed down a little bit and I've, not missed it. I've, I think I've gotten a little little burnt out in DFS, and I was just kind of treading water and getting frustrated with it. So I think I'm pretty much done with, with uh, football DFS. Uh, what I had done, uh, I think about two years ago, a lot with uh, Ty Miller. Him and I did a lot of uh, basketball and uh, Kyle, Kyle Roberts. So we did uh, DFS basketball, which was awesome. I love that. Uh, might get back into that a little bit and did some of the hockey. I love DFS hockey. It is fun. You know, That's it's, interesting. Uh, yeah, it's wild swings. You know, I'm trying to learn more about hockey, watch it more. You know, I always enjoyed, you know, watching. But I really, really understand the sport more and some of the players and stuff. So I'm trying to get into that more, which is which is pretty cool. And then, uh, yeah. yeah, overall, you know, I've done this year. I've actually had uh, between Dynasty, a few contract leagues, and a couple of redrafts. I had 19 leagues, like oh season-long God. leagues. And that was too many, way too many. Oh, uh, way too yeah, many. so I'm cu- – I'm cutting back, I think down to about a dozen or so, and uh, I commission about four or five of them. So it takes up some good good amount of time doing. I'm in off, one of those. Yep, yep. What's the name of yep, that one, one the, again? The the one of the flea flicker ones. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hold on. It's rise. I got two. Oh, the rise, rise in the to, ashes. Oh rise yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. In fact, I don't. That was a fun. I don't think I got paid. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you do this year? I forgot. I came in. I came in third. I I missed second by two points. Oof. I'll double check my PayPal. Yeah, I I think you owe me forty bucks. Maybe you sent it. (laughs) Oh no, I I think I put it towards next year. Maybe. Maybe. I think I did. That'll work. That's right. Yeah, I forgot you're in that one. (laughs) I gotta take a look at that and do some trades. Yeah, that's a that's that's you know I knew you know. I, I did as good as I possibly could. I mean, Ryan Kenya or Kanye, yep. I, I forget how you pronounce it. He had, I felt he had the nuts team 
and I got pretty close. You, you also finally are going to have to explain to me, I've got that pick 101, 2018 oh, Arizona, yeah. <laughs> and I have no idea what that's going to turn into. That's a, a long story. I'll uh, vote to do that offline. Yeah, absolutely. So It'll that, probably be in the top, top three or four picks. That's probably about I, where it's going I find be. people like a little bit of you know banter, get to know us a little bit better, and, and kidding around. That's why I threw in these questions. No, no, um, absolutely. I also, want, absolutely. I also wanted to finish up by talking a little bit about you, – you live in Mass. Where in Mass do you live? Uh, I'm about 15 miles west of Boston, or 10, 15 miles. Sudbury? So in a, in a suburb. Sudbury area? Uh, uh, yeah, near Sudbury, yeah, uh, in a suburb area. Gotcha. So I'm actually pretty close to the Natick Mall, if anyone yeah, yeah. knows that. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm a sales rep, remember? I, I, I cover up yep. there. I used, to, I used to have accounts in the Natick Mall back when luggage, there still was the luggage business. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah, uh, so I'm like a couple, just a couple of miles from there. Yeah, that's cool. So did you uh, – did you uh, grow up in that area, and are you a Pats fan? Yep, I grew up in uh, about further further west in Mass, about another half an hour west. So I grew up out in a, sub- a suburb out there, uh, just a small town. Uh, yeah, so you know, born and raised in Mass, so you know, diehard Pats fan, Celtics fan, Bruins, you know, Sox, all that stuff. So, so what's the latest on Brady's hand up there? Oh, just uh, you hear about the he has four stitches. Yep, in his hand. Yes, yeah, so I heard that. So, and then just a lot of speculation. I heard uh, yesterday in practice he was making throws and stuff. So hopefully it's nothing. And all the talk is that uh, you know even if he has a semi-injured hand, it should be enough to uh, you know score a couple touchdowns on Jacksonville. And assuming Jacksonville is probably going to only score about ten points, so I think we had a pretty good chance. I I would not want to see Brian Hoyer against that defense. Oh dear God, yeah. <laughs> it'll be Brian a nightmare. Hoyer it'll be it'll destroy be, It'll be handoff, handoff, handoff. <laughs> I think it might be that anyway. Uh, and and you know, I thought I was thinking Cooks would be a good play because he's not looking like he's going to have a lot of ownership, and it'll probably get depressed a little more by this news about Brady's hand. But it seems like if you beat Jacksonville, it's the guys who get that man coverage and get the ball deep and. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I also have one DFS lineup with both Burkhead and Lewis, but it makes me nervous because I'm still not convinced Burkhead's healthy. Yeah, I probably wouldn't go Burkhead, but yeah, I think it'll be a pretty Lewis and uh Lewis and James White kind of heavy game. All right. I think that'll cover it unless you've got well, anything else you want to say. Nope, I think we've uh gone into some pretty good depth here it's been great <laughs> almost an hour and a half uh yeah <laughs> i'm gonna have to look at the uh, completion percentage on this episode so i want to <laughs> thank my guest today mike mar uh mike margosian uh you can uh, tell us where we can find you on twitter mike yep i'm at at mike mar ff so you can see me there and then i have links to when i put out some articles and whatnot i'll there'll be links there and by the way i am a four for four subscriber they are, and if you want to follow Mike and make some of, I think that's a great idea. Uh, don't be a fish. All right. So as always, I'm going to leave us with a song. Um, I want to play this one for Tom Brady. Uh, thanks, everyone.
Thanks. Get a loud fire. 